This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I'm so confused. I know I heard you loud and clear, so I followed through. And somehow I ended up here I don't want to think I may never understand That my broken heart is a part of your plan When I try to pray All I got is hurt and these four words
Rachel. That just ties in with our lesson this morning. And if you would go ahead and open your Bibles, please, to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we'll be reading three verses in just a couple of moments. I, I want to say that, uh, Richard, it's so good to have you back. Where, where are you, Richard? Some, someplace, Richard Button. Uh, there you are. Had a stroke. Uh, He had a stroke just a few weeks ago and didn't know what was going to happen, but he's back, and we are really glad you're back, Richard. Welcome back. Today we begin a, a new message series entitled Crazy Faith. Now, Francis Chan wrote a book called Crazy Love, and if you haven't read it, you really need to. It, it's an outstanding book. How many of you have read uh, Chan's book? Uh, just you really need to to read that but in our series taken from the old testament books of first and second kings we want to talk about crazy faith and and no we will not be talking about my wife uh last night she happened to see the the sermon notes uh, in, in the bulletin and and she said what's this crazy faith and and i hadn't consulted her i i, I forgot to and uh so uh she said, oh, I dread the next few weeks, all of the comments that are going to be coming. So would you please just be nice to her over the next few weeks? And she's not crazy. I'm not implying that at all. Uh, but we're going to be focusing on the life of a man named Elisha who had crazy faith. And I've really been praying about this series. And, and if God will help us through the teaching of the word I believe that this can be a defining moment for uh, for some of us and we can develop a, a crazy-like faith in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a little bit old school like I am, when I said the words crazy faith, you were probably thinking, Joe, crazy faith, what do you mean? I mean, the two words don't really go together. Well, let me tell you something that I've learned and some common words that we have used in the past now have additional meanings. And yes, they mean what they used to mean, but at times they also mean the opposite of what they mean. You understand? Uh, let me quickly educate you into the new meanings of uh, old words. For example, the word bad used to mean bad. But now the word bad can mean good. You know, if you say, this is bad, then it's good. But if you say, this is bad, bad, then it's not good. It's bad. You understand? Uh, the word sick is the same way. And I've, I've learned this. If you say he is sick, it's like, ooh, he just threw up that that's sick. But, but if you say it like this, that's sick, then that's good. The, the words ridiculous and insane are the same way. They, they can mean something that's absurd, but but then they can also mean something that's amazing. And, and so when, when we say crazy, crazy no longer just means weird. But now if, if you want to brag on, let's say, a, a, a play in a ball game, you can say, man, that, that was crazy, meaning that was good. Did I just make sense? I just muddied the issue, didn't I? Maybe we ought to just stick with God's word. <laughs> But anyway, I pray that as we look at the life of Elisha, that God will build us, build in us some crazy faith. Let me, let me give you a quick snapshot of where we're going in the series. And, 
And, and believe you, man, we're, we're far from having this thing fleshed out. But, but it's kind of a tentative outline uh, that may completely change. But I've done some preparatory for next week. And, and Lord willing, I have in mind to look at a story where Elisha asks some people to, to dig ditches in a valley long before there was any sign of water. Why would you do that? Well, there are some spiritual lessons that we can learn from this story of crazy faith. And then I want to look at a, at a widow who couldn't pay her bills. All she had was a jar of oil and her creditors were coming to take her two sons as slaves for payment of her debt. And she was focused on what she didn't have. But Elisha helped her to see that she had everything she needed in order for God to do a miracle in her life. And for those of you that are going through tough times, I believe this story of crazy faith will encourage you and help you see that as God guides, He provides. Uh, and then, Lord willing, I want us to look at another ridiculous miracle where a borrowed axe head fell into a body of water. And the person using it panicked, not wanting to lose the axe head that belonged to someone else. And so, uh, went to the prophet, the prophet threw his stick into the water, and that axe head came floating up to the top. And for those of you that at one time were more passionate about Christ... And you were more on fire, you were closer to God, but over time you've maybe lost your spiritual edge. We're going to talk about regaining that spiritual edge. And I have a sense that some of us really need this lesson. So that's a tentative bird's eye view of the next few weeks. And uh, honestly, you may not be able to tell, but I, I, I don't know when I've been so excited about a sermon series. And I've been praying that God would really manifest Himself to me and also to all of us during the next few weeks. Now, just a couple of introductory remarks before we get to our Scripture. And As we talk about Elisha, don't get Elisha confused with Elijah. Elijah was a great prophet of the Old Testament as well, and he was bold and daring and full of faith, and he, he performed a bunch of miracles and and we did a series, I was looking back in my records, a series on him back in 2013. But Elijah is not Elisha. They lived in the same basic place uh, and roughly during the same time period, which would have been, uh, you know, during the 9th century B.C., but they were two different men. Now, I may get things mixed up. I mean, just because of the nature of their names being so close to each other. Um, you know, I, I will mention Elijah once in a while, but I'm mainly going to be talking about Elisha. So if I say Elijah, you know, just, just understand that it's tough to keep those two together. These two men respected each other. They were not competitors. You know, sometimes you get two alpha males in ministry that compete with each other, but this was not the case with Elijah and Elisha. In fact, Elisha respected Elijah so much that he made what I would consider to be a, a crazy, bold request he asked for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And that request pleased God, and he gave it to him. And Elisha ended up performing more recorded miracles in Scripture than anyone else, with the exception of Jesus Christ. And what really causes me to admire Elisha so much is that in every way, Elisha was just a very ordinary man. 
He wasn't born into a royal family. He didn't belong to a family of priests. He, he was not somebody that had been identified as a mover and a shaker and, and, uh, and a great leader. He was just a regular guy who gets this. He was living at home with his parents. He'd have fit in Cedar County, wouldn't he? And he was working on a farm. Let's go ahead and jump into our scripture and I will read three verses or yeah, well, three verses and provide the foundation for our thoughts. And then we will come back and, and just kind of dissect each verse. First Kings chapter 19, follow along as I read verse 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field with a team of oxen. There were 11 teams of oxen ahead of him and, and he was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over him and over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders and walked away again. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and, and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but consider what I've done to you. Elisha then returned to his oxen and, and, and pardon the pun, and this, this kind of seems like an overkill. But he returned to the oxen, and the Bible says he killed them. And it even gets more ridiculous. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the other plowmen, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. So it's clear from our scripture that Elisha was a farmer. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen with uh, with he himself driving the 12th pair, which means that there were probably 24 oxen there. And, and I was thinking about this, and, and I wonder if plowing with 24 oxen would be today's equivalent of the biggest four-wheel drive tractor available. Which also means that possibly Elisha's family, even though they were not a royal family, but yet they possibly had some financial means. But anyway, plowing with oxen is what Elisha did day after day after day after day after day. He lived with his parents, worked on, a, on the family farm, driving a team of oxen. Now we have some farmers in this church. And God bless the farmers. And, and I, I don't know if any of them um, ever had to plow with a team of oxen. But, but have you ever thought about following after 24 cows day after day after day? I'm serious. Have you ever thought about the scenery that you would have to look at day after day after day? Pardon me, and I may get fired for this statement, but, but seeing the backside of oxen all day long every day. In, in, in case you can't visualize this, let me just put this up on the screen as, as kind of a visual aid. Um. That's basically what Elisha had to look at all day long, except multiply that times six. You know, furthermore, because of the fact that Elisha walked behind 24 oxen, he undoubtedly would have been subjected to smells that were sick and not sick in the good kind of way, if you know what I mean. Now, uh, let me see if I can make an application point here and kind of recover the service. Uh, some of you may feel a little bit like Elisha. You're not necessarily looking at the backside of oxen, but, but, but you're doing the same monotonous task day in and day out. You go to the same job, work with the same people, put up with the same foul language, 
the same dirty jokes day after day after day, you, uh, you feel like Elisha. Or, or maybe you're a student and, and you put up, uh, you, you go to school during the day and you work your job in the evening, then come home and, and stay up until midnight trying to finish your assignments day after day after day. Or you're a teacher and you put up with kids all day long that are rowdy and, and, and mean as junkyard dogs and, and then you get calls from parents in the evening because they're mad at you because of how you called out your child when they caused a problem in class. Or if your parents, you clean up messes, change dirty diapers, do laundry, wash dishes, try to keep the kids from destroying the house and each other. You do that day in and day out. Or if you're a pastor, you just finished preparing your sermon for Sunday and you can't even enjoy Monday because you've got to start working on next week's sermon. The deadline never goes away. You do this over and over and over again. And regardless of what we do, whether we teach, whether we preach, whether we farm, whether we parent, or even sometimes just the routine of going to church every week, if we're not careful, it is so incredibly easy to lose our passion as we do the same things over and over and over again. And I have a feeling this is where Elisha possibly was. But I want to point out something very important. Despite the fact that Elisha followed those oxen day after day after day where the scenery wasn't good and the smell wasn't good, yet Elisha was faithful. And what does the Bible say in Matthew twenty-five, twenty-three? It says that when we're faithful in those menial and those monotonous behind-the-scenes tasks, that God will often reward us and open doors for greater opportunities. Which is exactly what happened with Elisha. One day in the middle of his boring, tiring job of following behind oxen, God opened a door of opportunity. And, and we read where Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders. Now what in the world does that mean to throw your cloak around him? Well, his cloak, Elijah's cloak, would have been kind of like a coat made out of animal skin. That was his covering. And what Elijah did was he took his covering and put it on Elisha and basically said, the call of God that's on me will now be upon you. And as God has been working through me, God will now begin working through you. Now, I want to apply this story to our lives and, and give us two principles of crazy, ridiculous faith. Here's the first principle. You don't have to fully understand to immediately obey. You don't have to fully understand to immediately obey. You notice that when God called Elisha to follow Elijah, he did not give him a bunch of details. Elijah put his cloak around him, walked away. And look again how Elisha responded in, in verse 20. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. So, so catch this. Elisha didn't say, Hey, Give me a few weeks to pray about this. He didn't say that. Neither did Elisha come up with a list of pros and cons. You know, here are the reasons that I should leave the farm and, and the family business and go into ministry. But, but here are the reasons that I should probably stay at home. Elisha didn't do that. 
No, Elisha said, let me go honor my parents. I'll kiss them goodbye. But then because I believe God is in this call, even though I don't know any of the details of what I'm going to be doing, my answer is yes. I pray that God will help us as we talk about this. I I sometimes think that because of our analytical minds, we tend to overthink calls from God. And we feel that God's call has to be logical and reasonable and that we have to have a five-year strategic plan before we can do anything for the Lord. You know, many times people ask pastors, well, what's your strategic plan for the church? And, and I, I think strategic planning is good. I, I think it's wise to think and plan ahead. That just makes good sense. But let me just kind of open my heart to you. I'll admit that I no longer put as much emphasis on a five-year strategic plan as I used to. And, and here's the reason. In the New Testament, yes, they obviously had those times of planning, but that's not what made the New Testament church so special. What really made the New Testament church special was not their five-year strategic plan, but, but rather the fact that they, were be, that they were willing to be led by the Spirit of God and even change their plans on a moment's notice should God lead them someplace else. You know, for example, Paul and his ministry team decided to go preach the gospel in Bithynia. And they were on their way, but all of a sudden the Spirit said, no, I, I don't want you to go there. And, and so what did Paul do? He didn't say, well, you know, this is part of our plan. We know we prayed about this and, and, and they need the Lord in, in, in Bithynia. And, and so we're going to go ahead and go. And, you know, God's word won't return void. No, no, that wasn't Paul. Paul stopped on a dime, which leads me to say that God's no is as important as God's go. And when he obeyed God's no, then God gave him a go, which was to go into Macedonia. Same thing with Philip. He was involved in a thriving ministry in Samaria. And and God all of a sudden called him out to the desert for a meeting with an Ethiopian that was hungry for Jesus. You know, this kind of stuff is what made the early church so special. It wasn't that the church leaders were were better planners or that they were more talented or more educated. No, they were less educated. It was what made them so special is they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They were willing to have their plans interrupted by God. They were God-led, not man-led. They were spirit-led and not strategic plan-led. And I have such a passion here at this church to experience a new level of on-the-spot obedience. And I'm not saying that we need to fly by the seat of our pants. No, as a church, I want us to project ahead as much as is reasonable. But, but more than having a long-term plan for this church, I want to be in a spiritual posture so that as God opens the door for a particular ministry, and we know it's clearly Him, I don't want us to say, well, we better pray about this for six months. Let's look at the pros and cons. No, if it's clearly God speaking, I want us to be like Elisha in the Old Testament and say, the answer is yes, Lord. But again, as we follow, realize that rarely will will God give us all the details up front. In fact, I believe that God is often purposefully vague in His directions. And He looks at us and says, you really couldn't handle the details anyway. You know, if I showed you everything up front, you would probably freak out. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the details as you need them. And and no, you know, I'm a detail person. I like to know the details. I like to know where we're going. 
But sometimes when God gives details, it may be just in one word. In the Old Testament, when God was giving Moses direction, you could summarize the directions in one word, go. Moses, go. It was the same way with Abraham. Uh, Go. Go to the land I will show you. No details, just go and I'll give you the details as you need them. Or or Peter, when when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter was like, hey, that's amazing. Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And, And Jesus gave him one word, come. He didn't say, well, Pete, first you need to attend a seminar on how to walk on water. No, Peter, just come. How does that play out for us today? And I pray that God would really speak to us. Maybe some of you are struggling in your marriage right now and you're thinking about cashing it in. And Maybe that one word God is speaking to you is the word stay. Stay. Or perhaps some of you have a health issue and And maybe the one word God is giving you is the word trust. Trust. Maybe some of you have an idea for ministry and you're thinking, okay, how and when and and where and I don't understand. And and God gives you one word and that word is start. Or maybe some of you, you've been hanging around the church for a while and you're you're still just spectating. You're observing and, and God may give you one word commit or some of you may be praying about the future of your family and and you hear the word adopt or foster you're like wait wait i mean what age and from where domestic or international boy or girl and you don't have to understand everything to take the next step or maybe some of your young people, you're dating someone that's not a Christian, and God may give you one word, break up with the jerk. I guess that's five words. <laughs> but maybe you need to hear five words instead of one. You say, well, what if nobody else comes along? Nobody else better comes along. Well, remember this. This, this is really deep theologically. You can't marry a cherry limeade when you're drinking a slush. <laughs> and I have no clue what that means, but <sighs> it did sound good, yeah. You don't have to understand everything to do what God tells you to do. I remember when God called us to pastor this church, and it was so confusing because, as I've told you, we were missionaries and never wanted to pastor. God forbid that we would ever have to pastor a church. And and, and, and it seemed like God began to speak to us. And, and, and there was one word that he spoke to us about, and, and it was the word stay, stay here in America. And, And on that one word, we stayed and didn't know the details, but it's incredibly emotional for me to think about how God has allowed us to witness so many of you committing your lives to Christ. So as God speaks to you, be crazy enough, be ridiculous enough to say, I don't know all the details, but I don't have to fully understand to immediately obey. Thought number two. Those God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. 
And watch what Elisha does. Verse 21. Elisha then returned to his oxen. And of course, these were the animals that brought about his livelihood. He killed them. And then what did he do with the plows? Used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the other plowmen and they all ate. So basically, he made a bonfire out of the plowing equipment. He grilled steak for his buddies. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Oh, this is so powerful. It's almost like Elisha was saying, there's no plan B. I'm killing the cows. I'm burning the plows. There's only plan A, and that's to obey God. I will not turn back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No plan B. Now, honestly, most of us as parents, if our kid comes up and said, Dad, uh, uh, you know, Elijah told me I'm called to go into the ministry. And so just so you know, I'm headed out to the field where the oxen are. I'm going to kill all of them. And I'm going to set fire to the plow so I can cook the meat. And then I'm headed away to be a missionary. You know, if my kids would say that, I would probably respond, hey, hey wait a minute. You, you know, I'm proud of you and I'm proud of your commitment. And, 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 and yes, I want you to serve God. I'm behind you. But, but don't you think you need to keep your options open? I mean, don't you think that's a little bit too radical to slaughter 24 perfectly good oxen and burn up the plow? I mean, that's a lot of money going up in smoke. Don't you think that maybe you should keep them in case ministry doesn't work out for you? But that wasn't Elisha's attitude. And we find in Scripture other times where people are so moved by God that they do what many would consider to be crazy just to follow Christ. For example, when Jesus encountered Peter for the first time in Luke chapter 5, Peter was having a bad fishing day. And Jesus came up and said, throw your nets on the other side. And Pete was like, you don't know what you're talking about. Who are you? Jesus said, just do it. And he did it. And he caught so many fish that the net started breaking. And he's like, wow, that's so amazing. Who are you? I, I'm just a sinful man. And Jesus said, come be a fisher of men. And here's what's so crazy. Scripture says that the fishermen left everything. They left their jobs. They left their comfort zones. All to follow Christ's call. I believe that very possibly God will speak to some of you and ask you to do something that our society or something that your parents or something that your friends would consider to be ridiculous. For some of you, God might call you away from your jobs to go into ministry as he did Jason and Tammy. Now, when that happens, make, make sure that God is speaking to you. I mean, don't just go in and say, I'm sick of my job. I hate my job. And you take this job and, you know, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about when you know that you know that you know that God has called you to leave. And, and, and you make up your mind that you will not turn back because God is calling you forward. I heard of a young man and his dad was very successful in business and his dad wanted to pass the family business on to his son and said, you know what, this is going to make you a lot of money if you'll do that. And, and, and the problem is the son didn't feel called to take this business over. But his dad just kept pushing him, pressuring him. And, and, and you know, the, the, this young man, he, he felt called to teach junior high. I don't know why, man, that, that takes a calling right there. And coach boys basketball. Well, his dad just forced the business on him, and, 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 and this man did well. He was financially successful, but he was miserable. And, and finally, he just said, you know, I can't neglect 
the call to minister to the next generation. And so one day he, he respectfully went up to his dad and said, Dad, I love you. I honor you. You're one of my heroes, but I can't do this anymore. And he said, I'm giving all this back. And he left a tremendously lucrative career to go teach junior high and coach boys basketball. And this man today is happy doing what he was called to do. He burned some plows to do what God wanted him to do. There was another family that was on fire for God. Quite honestly, every summer that changed. Their love for God seemed to transfer over to a love for the lake. And, and they pretty much disappeared from the church from May until about September. And one day their nine-year-old daughter commented, Daddy, why is it that we love God all year long but we don't love God in the summer? And when the dad heard that, he was pricked in his heart and he realized that she was right. They became selfish during the summer and didn't, didn't serve in the summer months. They didn't worship in the summer months and, and it all became about their selfish enjoyment. And, and when the dad realized this, he said, I can't have that. And he burned the plow. You know what he did? He sold the boat. He sold the lake house. And this is certainly not for everyone. I'm not advocating this, but this is what this family felt God was calling them to do. And he said, I'm not going to let anything like this send an example to my nine-year-old that God is not important to us all year long. There was another man who struggled with pornography. And he was able to somewhat overcome it for a while when he got his computers monitored and but then smartphones came out and he tried to block things and block things. But he was techy enough to where he could always find a way around it. And so someone talked with him and said, oh, what do you think you should do? And he said, well, the only thing I can think of is to get rid of this phone. But, but, but he said, I've got to have this phone. I've got to have this smartphone. And his friend said, do you really? He said, did people survive for thousands of years without him? And his... Um, and the lights came on, and so he decided to get rid of his new iPhone. He took it and went and crushed it, saying, basically, I'm burning this plow. And now he uses a little flip phone. Bless his heart. <laughs> and you know what? He hates his flip phone, but he loves his purity. And I admire a guy who would say, I'm not going to let something keep me from being the man that God wants me to be. So maybe, uh, maybe you need to burn a plow. And I don't know what that would be in your life. But I was thinking, and as I was praying this week, I, I, I just wondered if there are some people here today that are like a little kid with his blankie. Maybe your blankie is an, an addiction. Alcohol. Drugs. Smoking. Chewing tobacco. Prescription drugs. Maybe it's a wrong relationship. You know, some of you may be holding on to something that you think is your security. Remember, to fully follow God, you have to be willing to step away from your security and burn your plow and say no turning back. This morning, I pray that God would make us people of honor, people of integrity. And for those here today 
or maybe you're one of the ones that listens on the radio or the live stream, but maybe you're holding on to something that you think is your security, but really it's actually dragging you down. Could I just encourage you to be free from that today? I don't know what your blankie is. Would you let go of it? When God calls, when we know it's God calling, we don't have to do the pros and cons. We don't have to pray for a year. When we know it's God, we just need to obey. And I wonder if some of you today, you've been praying about it. You know what's right. You know what's right, but you keep praying about it, hoping that God will change his mind. But today, today, could we just fully obey God? I'm going to ask you to stand. And I don't know what God wants to do in your heart today. But would you just let go of something, whatever it is, whatever your blankie is, let go of it. And if you want to come here and pray and just leave it at the altar, this is a safe place. This is not a place just for bad people. This is for all of us. And if you want to come and just bring something, say, Lord, here it is. I give it to you and Just give it to him today. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for for this scripture. And I don't know if I got, got across what's burning in my heart. But Lord, I thank you for those times that you put your hand upon us and issue a call to us. Lord, I thank you for Elisha's amazing example. When you spoke, he said yes. God, I believe that there are some of us here today that we're holding on to a little blankie and that's our security. But Lord, really our security is in you. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to give that up to you. Father, I pray that we would answer the call and Lord, over the last few months we've had several missionaries that have come through here and Lord, we know that It's not always easy, but that's the only way when we obey. God, I pray that there would be other couples that would be called from this church to to do what Jason and Tammy are doing, and Gabe and Erica, and Larry and Christy, and Olita, and David and Senya, and Lord, a host of others. God, maybe it's not for international missions, but it's just ministering here in this area to where they would commit to a ministry. God, I thank you for Heidi and Monty that have taken the call to foster. And Lord, some couples here have heard the call to adopt. And God, sometimes you use your people in different ways to make a difference in our world. And I pray, God, that we would just hear your voice. Lord, as you speak to us, that we would be like Elisha and say, yes. The answer is yes. I will follow. I will obey. No turning back. And I'm getting rid of plan B because my only plan A is to serve you. And so, God, I just pray 
that you would do a work in our lives this week. And God, I know that, I know after a few minutes, people, when we get out of the atmosphere of a service like this, that we tend to forget and we think about other things, our problems. But Lord, I, I just ask that you would keep it on our hearts and minds that obedience, Lord, that we would obey. Lord, don't ever let us get away from, don't let us be comfortable being in disobedience. So, Lord, as you give us details, little by little, maybe one word at a time, that we would just say, yes, Lord, the answer is yes. Regardless, I don't have to understand, but the answer is yes. And so, Father, as we go from here, as we go to Sunday school, I pray for our Sunday school teachers that they would be used to uh, help us to understand more of your word. And, God, I pray for our kids. you know, our kids' workers, and Lord, as we go into our second service in just a little bit, that you would also prepare our hearts for that. We thank you, Lord. You're an amazing God. Thank you for Elisha and his wonderful example. And we pray these favors in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. I pray God's presence and power upon you as you do what he asks you to do this week. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.